God with us. This is grace to you. You will worship Jesus forever without growing tired of it or bored of it for a second. This is beginning to teach your heart to get to that place, to set aside his day, the day that he rose from the dead uh, for your life, and to say, the first thing I do on your day is worship you with all of my heart, to hear from you through your word, to come to your table, to respond to you in song, and to love the other people that you have loved like you have loved me. So this is grace to us. Um, I get the task to preach to you this morning from God's words. As my words line up with the words of Scripture, your heart can receive them and be shaped by them. We do this as a family. We're giving our attention not so much to the preacher, but to Jesus who speaks through those who preach his word. All right, we are preaching through what we've got as the biblical book of Acts. That's the passage of Scripture that was read earlier this service. This is the story about how Jesus' gospel advanced for the very first time through the known world. And every one of the little stories in this big story is so helpful to us because we get to see what it looked like in real time for Christians to believe the gospel and live the gospel and the effects that it had and see how they did what they did and then be asking, hey, does that resemble us in any way? One of the things that we're always working to train Seven Mile Road people like you toward is something called gospel fluency, gospel fluency. That means a bunch of things. At the center, it means that we are constantly driving people away from sin and away from self-help toward humble trust, belief in the person and the work of Jesus. The gospel is at the center of everything that we are becoming. But gospel fluency also means knowing how to press the gospel differently depending on where the people who we are loving are at. So being a wise and helpful, gospel-fluent friend, Christian, father, mother, spouse, pastor, disciple-maker is having the sense to know what people need from you in any given conversation, in any given moment, in any given season, and then being willing and able to give that to them. So to totally simplify this idea, I'll just give you two W words, okay? Sometimes gospel fluency looks like warning, warning, to be like, look, I love you, and this is what God commands, and it's a brilliant, good command, and with your life right now, you are dissing God and his commands. You need to come back towards the Father in repentance. That's gospel, calling each other to repentance and faith. But warning is not the only thing that gospel ever sounds like. In other words, that's not the only spot that gospel people camp out. Warning, 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 all day and night. There is this other thing that gospel fluency includes, and that is welcome. Welcome. To see someone who has been busted up over their sin, they see it, 
They smell it. It stinks to them. They have sorrow over it. And what they desperately need in that moment is welcome. For you to be like, look, I love you. And God in Christ is for you right now. It is his grace that is leading you toward him and sorrow over sin. You are his and you need to let that truth sweep over you. Warning and welcome is a part of being a gospel-fluent community together. All right, now this text today is awesome because we're going to see both of them tied together. We're going to watch Jesus warn, and he's going to break a man down, and then we're going to watch Jesus, in love, send someone to welcome and stand that man up. And it's the second part that I really want us to focus on today, to be asking yourself as you're listening How am I doing with welcome, with welcome? Am I so growing in my gospel fluency that I am often moving toward others in warm and tender gospel love? Okay, that's what we're going to do. Let me pray for you and we'll do it. Father, I pray that you would visit us. There are men and women and boys and girls in this room and we are believing today that we are yours that you speak to us through your word, that it is worth giving our attention to. I pray that you would change our hearts. I pray that you would make this, among other things, the most warm, welcoming community that this city has ever seen. Hear my prayer and answer today. Amen. Okay, I'm going to get the text of scripture up on this screen here so you can read these with me and then we'll chop it up together. Here we go. This is where our text starts, Acts chapter 9. But Saul still, you need to feel like anger in this word, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What is this? This is a powerful and proud and sinful man. His life trajectory is set. Here's where he's going. He knows what he believes and why he believes it. He is against the whole Jesus movement nonsense. He's against it. He is literally a one-man wrecking crew bent on taking the, the Christian sect out with his bare hands if he needs to. There's blood on this man's hands. He's going door to door to door, and now city to city to city. And he is kicking doors in, and he is taking men and even women by the hair, dragging them out of their homes, putting them in chains, and leading them off to prison because these people love Jesus. I need you to feel this. Violence, anger, murder, if he needs to go that far, it's all rooted in a proud self-righteousness. This is bad. We say it like this. Paul did a lot of dirt. He did a lot of dirt. That's the setup to this text. Next verse, as that guy 
went on his way. He approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. Okay, what is this? This is Jesus beginning to break Saul. Boom. I love this. Swing kick literally knocks him out of his saddle and down onto the ground. Does everyone feel the movement in this story? Proud, sinful man moving down. Have you ever just been taken out like that in your life? Seventh grade, they made us do a wrestling module in our gym class. You know, you got to learn all the different sports. Wrestling for six weeks. I was about 5'8", and about 87 pounds, 77 pounds, something like that. Just skin draped on bones. I got down in that wrestling position. They picked this kid that was shaped like a bowling ball. You know what I'm talking about? Just like a round rock. He sneaks up behind me in that wrestling position. The whole class is watching, seventh grade, right, when your identity is like so fragile. He blows the whistle, and this kid just physically lifts me off the mat and hammers my skin and bones onto the ground. I can still remember the humiliation. How did that feel? Not good. Somebody much stronger than me was doing whatever they wanted with me. That is this right here. Big bad Saul is getting knocked down to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Okay, what's this right here? This is Jesus calling out Saul's sin. This is always the way of Jesus with us. If we are his and he is in pursuit of us, that pursuit will include the exposing of our sin so that he can forgive us and free us from it. A moment or a season or circumstances where we are brought face to face in our soul, you know that deep part of your soul that you try to ignore? In our soul, in our conscience, with the ugliness of who we are and what we've done and what we're doing. And it's always very personal like this, isn't it? When true conviction comes to you, you begin to realize, oh shoot, I am not just breaking some random, petty, dated, ridiculous commands from some book. I am setting my life against the most holy and glorious and magnificent and powerful and bright and good person in the universe, Jesus. In these two sentences, Jesus is literally wrecking everything that Saul had given his life to. His sin is brought literally, right, blinding light into the light. Then Jesus said, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. What's this? This is Jesus humbling Saul. You know how big shots don't really like to deal with anyone who's not also a big shot? You know what I'm talking about in life? 
and get my hair dressed. If I'm a superstar, it's not just going to be the barbershop on the corner. It's got to be a somebody. If Jesus is going to address me, then I'm expecting him to be the one to gospel me and give me my commands. After all, I'm Saul. Jesus won't do it. He says, you know what? You just go into the city and you wait there and I'll get back to you when I'm ready. All the old dead guys write about this and about Jesus calling Saul to submit to the service of someone else in the church as a humbling of Saul. Does everyone fear the downward movement in this text? And then one more. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Who has to be led by the hand in life? Blind people? Who else? Crippled people? Children? Do you feel this? Jesus has taken this powerful, getting things done, sinful man, and he has blinded his eyes so that he is now like a lost child, brought low, can't even walk two feet, on his own. This man's life is being undone. This is Jesus showing up with gospel warning, gospel correction. Jesus does this to those whom he loves. It happens in all different ways. It happens in the season of life when you're first born again into the family of God and you see your sin for what it is. It happens in every season of life where you are struggling with your fallenness. When you are being set free, Jesus always brings you down and low. Okay, how does he respond to this? And for three days, he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. What's this? This is repentance. This is fasting on purpose. He could have eaten. This is him saying, I can't even eat or drink right now. We'll see it explicitly in a minute. He wasn't just fasting. He was praying. This is Saul becoming a new man right here in these three days. The weight of his sin is on him. I mean, you have to feel this with me. Think of the images in his head, the sounds, the screams, the feel of his fists punching men, women. All these things are racing through his mind. You know how that works? I've got some friends who were delivered by Jesus out of very violent young adulthood. I've talked with some of them about some of the brawls that they were in, and they've told me that they, it took a while for them to get over the memories of the smell of blood, the sound of smashing heads on concrete. The sin that they had committed was tangible and real. This is what going through, hour after hour, day after day. Paul is fasting. He is weeping. He is praying. He is crying out to God. He is penitent and sorrowful, so troubled that he can't even eat or drink. Have you been there? I just can't even eat right now. He is a broken mess. And that also means that he's ready 
He is ready now for the gospel to sweep in. He's ready now for gospel welcome. And here it comes in the person of a regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christian. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This is not a big shot. This is an absolute nobody. You never see him outside of Damascus. You never hear from him in the story again. That's who Jesus is going to use to serve Paul. The Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Everywhere in your Bible where you see a saint responding to God with here I am, it means they're ready and they're available to serve. And then comes the worst instructions imaginable. Here they are. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight, Straight Street, Straight Avenue. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. (laughs) What, What would your response be to this command of Jesus? Get it in your head. You got it? Okay, here comes Ananias' response. Are you serious? That's my translation. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Would you have responded like that? I love the Bible because it's not faking anybody out, right? This is us in a mirror. Absolutely. His initial response is like, hold on, hesitate, question, balk at this command to go give Saul a gospel welcome? Come on. Two sentences, and there's two hard issues for Jesus to overcome in this man. First, hatred. Do you feel that in here? Disgust, unforgiveness, anger. He's like, Jesus, there must be two Sauls of Tarsus because we cannot be talking about the same Saul of Tarsus. Ananias does not immediately want this man to be welcomed in. Do you know how much evil he has done to your saints, my friends in Jerusalem? I don't want him in this community. I don't want him near this community. I actually don't even want him breathing. I have friends who have been hurt by this man. I want him to pay for what he's done. What are you talking about, gospel? Welcome to Saul of Tarsus. And then second sentence, second thing, there is a fear. Self-protection. Jesus, did, did you get the memo that he got, that he has the authority to throw Christians like me in prison? If I take a step toward this situation and this man, there could be big trouble for me personally. I'm afraid to embrace this bad sinner. I'm afraid to do this. So there's resentment 
and there's fear. I love Jesus' answer. I'll give you the simplified form. But the Lord said to him, go. He explains why. We'll do that in another sermon. But he just says, doesn't matter. Go. Don't care about your resentment. Go. Not worried about your fear. Just go. Just go. And you feel Jesus moving Ananias, moving him. Okay, so Ananias obeys Jesus. What kind of an attitude, demeanor, posture, are you expecting for Ananias to obey this command with? So you can't say no to Jesus. You got to go and do what he told you to do. But where are you expecting the posture of his heart to be? If I had a whiteboard, we'd list these out. So here are some of the things you could imagine, right? How about coldness? Could you see that right now? Distance. Just kind of get in and out of that conversation as fast as you can. I'm kind of expecting this exchange to be what it looks like when I'm going to buy Grace a birthday present or a Christmas present. You know, Pottery Barn, Victoria's Secret, something like that. I'm like, walk up to the counter real quick. I don't want to be here. You work in retail, you probably don't want to be here. I would like to get this transaction done as quick as possible, and we're never going to see each other again. Go, you got 20 seconds. I'm not surprised at all if that's the feel and the tone of this transaction. All right, I'll do it, but I don't want to do it, and I am not doing this with any kind of love and affection. Maybe you're expecting him to come uh, with a quick murmuring of the directions that Jesus said under his breath as quick as he can in and out. Maybe you're expecting him to come with some legalism here, some skepticism. Okay, so look, Jesus sent me to you, but you're going to have to prove yourself to me before I will welcome you warmly. Here's a contract and fulfill this thing for about six months and then maybe there'll be some warmness here. I could also see him coming in with some threats, right? That may be the tack that I would take. All right, listen, Jesus told me to welcome you and to heal your eyes and stuff, but between you and me, I'd rather you stayed blind. I'd rather you didn't eat or drink again and you were gone in about 48 more hours. I know what you did in Jerusalem. I swear you raise a finger against anyone in Damascus and it's going to be you and it's going to be me because I'm not so sure Jesus knows what he's doing right now. You could add to your list of potential responses. I could see any of those being his heart. There's a hundred ways this could cold down. Cold, pejorative, ugly, a hundred miles away from warm welcome. But instead, what do we get? Check this out. So Ananias entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that awesome? Let's break this down so we don't miss the import of this. Four things that he does. 
one he moves toward him. I hope you're feeling this in the book of Acts, right? Jesus' people never retreat. Jesus' people are never static and lazy. They're always on the move as the Spirit leads them. And one of the places that Jesus, by his Spirit, will move you is toward broken sinners who are coming to repentance. Ananias goes and finds this hurting man. Second thing he does, he touches him. I love this. Did you feel that? He doesn't walk in and stand on the other side of the room, kind of backing up. He doesn't shout to him from the street. He knocks on the door. He walks in and he goes over and he touches him. So we did this with the kids. The New Testament resonates with the command to greet each other with a holy kiss which is a physical sign of embrace and of welcome. In the life of our church, there's always a whole bunch of touching going on, right? Some of you are like, I don't know about that. It's biblical. Hugs, high fives, fist bumps. I'm always getting down on my knees and headbutting our kids. Why am I doing that? Just so I can get as close to them as I can so that they can feel the touch of a pastor who says, I love you. You belong to Jesus. You're going to remember this scratchy head banging up against yours when you were growing up because physical affection is a part of being a gospel people who embrace each other in love. He goes over and he touches him. Now, yes, that's a sign of restoration of his eyes. It's a sign of commission, but it's also a sign of association. You don't touch people who you don't identify with. If you're in a big room and you see an embrace, what do you know when you see that embrace? There is love and association between those people. He touches him. How about this? He calls him brother. That should have just jumped off the words of the screen at you. He goes in and by faith, he calls this murderer, this arrester, this persecutor, what Jesus said to call him. I'm going to call you brother. That would have washed over Paul's soul. All that I have done against this man and this Jesus community, and now here he is, unprovoked by me, extending the affectionate term, brother, brother Saul. And then lastly, he gospels him. He heals him. There's spiritual undertones to this, right? Paul was blind, and now through Ananias' love and acceptance, he can see that is not just true with these eyes, but with these eyes in here. Receive the Holy Spirit, brother. In other words, God is for you. You're his. He's coming to dwell inside of you. Don't ever forget this scene of Scripture. Paul is on the ground, hasn't eaten or drank a thing for days, weighed down by the reality of his sin. And the Christian who comes to visit him moves toward him, embraces him, calls him brother, and affirms him in the gospel. Everybody feel that? So here's our big idea. When we see saints broken because of their sin, do we move toward them in gospel? love.
And if we had all day, we could all come up here and tell our story about how this beautifully has worked in our life. Uh, For me, in the two deepest seasons of conviction, of being wrecked by Jesus and brought low, and then being restored by Jesus into his good graces, both times, both seasons, one when I was in middle school and one was I was in my mid-20s. I could tell the long stories of God's breaking of me, but both times, a guy named Wayne and a guy named Paul, in both seasons, I remember through my tears and my brokenness, these godly men moving toward me, both of them literally wrapping me in their arms, receiving me with affection, gospeling me. That's what I needed in that moment. I did not need someone saying, man, you are pretty bad. This is terrible. I didn't need someone saying, hey, here's a leash. It's kind of short. Let's see how you do over the next six months. I didn't need distance. I didn't need skepticism. I didn't need warning. I didn't need legalism. I needed somebody to move toward me in a warm gospel welcome. I'll never forget those men doing that for me. And now in my life, in your life, we're trying to constantly do that for others. All right, so think about yourself as we wrap this up. Opportunities for this will be endless if you run with us for the next 10 years in the life of this church. This will happen with brand new people who are believing the gospel for the first time. Often before a baptism, I'll sit with people up in one of these rooms, sometime with Pastor Matt, and there will be tears, sweet tears, but intense tears of sorrow. In those moments, we get to say, come to Jesus. We'll put you in those waters and welcome you into the family. But it's not just on the front end that you will be given the opportunity to give a warm gospel welcome like this. The whole Christian life is one of seeing and sorrowing over sin. You may get to come alongside people whose marriages are falling apart through sin. How will you respond? You may get to come alongside people who are struggling with besetting sins, sexual and other. What will your disposition be to those people? You may come across people who are in the throes of depression and cannot crawl out. How will you welcome someone who is stuck there? In those moments, in those seasons, the last thing we need is for the saints to avoid or judge or be cold with us or doubt us. We need you to move toward people with warm and tender gospel love. In other words, every Saul needs an Ananias moving toward them in the gospel. Okay, would you receive that word today? For some of you, this is going to drive you to repentance, right? Because there is none of this in your life. None of it. You never move like Ananias. You know how Jesus promised to never crush a bruised reed? You run bruised reeds through the wood chipper. You know, Jesus said, I will never turn away a humble person. 
You like have a PhD in slamming doors in people's faces. You avoid. You judge. You question. Your default posture is your arms closed and your eyes squinted. You don't look like Ananias coming with your arms extended and open to heal and to love. When was the last time you moved towards someone with a warm gospel welcome? For some of you, I just want to set you free to like kill this thing with us. So we all have different spiritual gifts, right? Some of us are good at the warning, right? Just we'll be in a Starbucks and just drop bombs of warning on people overhearing like, what is going on in that conversation over there? Praise God for those who are gifted that way. Some of you, many of you, are gifted by the Spirit of God to be encouragers and affirmers and welcomers. We set you free to thrive in that place, in your gospel community, with our young people. I mean, is there anyone in this church who is going to be in those throes of brokenness over their sin as they grow up and realize the holiness of God and the sinfulness of them? Who will be the people in this church who move toward our fifth graders, our seventh graders, our ninth graders with affection and welcome and gospel love? If that is you, don't hold back. We need you to thrive in embracing and welcoming and warmly encouraging all of us as we get to that place of need. The ground note of Jesus' church needs to be the grace of the gospel. Nowhere is it felt more clearly if we would give ourselves to warm, tender gospel love with each other. All right, let's think on that and pray together. Jesus, we want to be people who are shaped by your word. We want to be people who believe you when you say, I seek and I save the lost and the broken. I thank you for the times in our lives when we have been warmly embraced in the gospel. And I pray that there would be no distance and no coldness and no doubting and no skepticism in the life of this church but that we would do what Jesus has done for us to others. Open arms, warm welcome, gospel love. I want to be a part of a community like that. I need to be a part of a community like that, so I pray that you would make us that this morning. Hear my prayer and answer. Amen.